Uh, if, like I say, we'd love for you to be a part of it if uh, you don't have a church home. As I talk to people about church, as I talk to people about Christ, as I talk to people about Christianity and Jesus, one of the issues that always comes up is, you know, I ask them, okay, so what's your, what's your problem? You know, what, what, what is it that's keeping you back? What is it that you have a, a problem with? And inevitably, at some point, what usually comes up is, all the church wants is my money. And it seems that often that becomes a, a big issue with people. And in our, in our fellowship, we, don't, we deal with things a little bit differently at our church. We have offering boxes in the back, and we don't make a big deal of it. And we believe God's people take care of God's work, and we have watched that happen over and over again. So we don't do any begging and pleading and fun writing or fundraising and letter writing and that kind of thing. But... Um, We've just watched God honor that, and so that's how we, we handle money. But knowing that that's the objection of many people, I, said, I thought, you know what, why don't I take the fair service and let's talk about the elephant in the room. So this morning I want to talk about what the Bible has to say, because in the story of, in the life of Jesus, there are two great stories regarding uh, people and money. And uh, I want to look at the second story this morning, because I think it has probably the most application for us. But let me just allude to the first story. And what you have to understand is Jesus did talk about money, but Jesus didn't talk about money in context of, of money like we think of. Jesus talked about it in terms of trying to get to a person's heart. And the bottom line is, often... When scripture talks about it, your heart and your money are connected. I mean, if you want to know what's important to my life, all you have to do is go through and look at where I spend my money. And you would find that my discretionary money is usually spent on either um, motorcycle stuff or glass blowing stuff. Uh, those are the things that, that, that I enjoy. Those are the things that are important to me. So those are the things when I have discretionary money, that's where it goes. I mean, recently we were in South Dakota a couple weeks ago for family vacation. My granddaughter was with us, and, and we stopped at the Harley store in Rapid City, and then we had to stop at the one in Sturgis and the one in Deadwood and then the one in Hill City. And when we got to the second one, my granddaughter said, Granddad, uh, you know, you, you've, you, you've already been to the Harley store. And I said, Honey, there's more than one Harley store. And uh, she said, Yeah, but you've already been to it. We don't need to go anymore. And uh, I had to explain to her that that's not the way it works when Grandpa's on vacation. So, you know, I mean, you just, that, that's, that's the way it goes. You, if you want to look, that, you learn a lot about what I value by what I spend my money on. There are people here who spend it on, horse, on, on horses, on animals, on show stuff. And, and there are people that spend it on campers and, and boats. And we all have our things. And so Jesus understands that. So in, in the first, in the one story... Um, it's the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he's a Jew and he says, hey, um, how do I get to heaven? I've done everything right. I've kept all 10 commandments. And Jesus said, okay, keep all the commandments. He goes, I've done that ever since I was a little kid. I, I'm going to go to heaven because I've kept all the, all the commandments. And Jesus wanted to get to his heart. So he looked at him and he said, okay, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And all of a sudden, the scripture says, the young man went away because he had much. And he realized that what he was saying, God is most important to me, and what he was doing were two different things. And it wasn't that God was saying, sell all your stuff so you can go to heaven. Jesus was getting to his heart. And he said, look, you think that you, you're doing all these great things, but the reality of it is, I'm not first in your life. And God's not first in your life. There's other stuff that's more important. And Jesus zeroed in on that. 
The second story is the one I want to talk about this morning because it occurs at the end of the life of Jesus. You have to understand culturally where we are. Jesus is about ready. Within the next couple of weeks, Jesus is going to be on a cross. Um, within the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a triumphal entry where everybody's doing the palm frond thing and, and hailing him as king and all of that. Uh, in the next few weeks, you're going to have the whole week, the, the, the Passion Week event. But before that, there's this story about Jesus as he goes through Jericho. It's found in Luke chapter 19. Here's what it said. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to murmur. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll peg back four times the amount. And Jesus said unto him, Today salvation has come to this house because of this man. Two, he is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, in order to really understand this story, you have to understand a little bit about Jewish, the Jewish time and the Roman time during this time. So let me give you just a quick history lesson. In this time, taxes were collected by by tax collectors, by people who were tax collectors. There were a number of different taxes. One was um, the general fixed tax. That was for your property and your income, those kind of things. That, those taxes were set by Rome. There was another type of taxes um, called duty taxes. Those were collected by, and I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong, but just you won't know or care, and I don't either. Uh, Mulkleys, Mulkleys, these guys were, um, there were two types. Um, there was one type of person, and, and here's what they would do. Um, the great Mulkies, or the chief tax collector, who Zacchaeus was, what he would do is he would buy up a whole bunch of areas that he was allowed to tax. And he would tax roads and bridges and wagons and animals and parcels. And it was very arbitrary. They could kind of set their own little deal. And so what would happen is, since they covered such a large area, they would then hire Mulkies, little guys to take care of these certain spots, and they would pay them, if you will, a portion to the chief tax collectors. Um, in the Bible, Matthew, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, is one of these little guys. Zach, Zachari, uh, Zacchaeus is one of the big guys. So let me put it in a modern context. Let's say, for instance, that um, I was in charge of uh, Moville, Climbing Hill, Bronson area. And then... I would then go to people, so I'd go to somebody, so Leo would come to me and say, hey, look, I want a tax, I want a road tax and uh, a duty tax, and I want to collect taxes at the intersection of US 20 and Mulville Blacktop. And I would cut a deal with him, and he would then set up a little booth, and every time you went through that intersection, you would have to pay him, and then he would give me a portion of that. So he's doing kind of Matthew's job, I'm doing Zacchaeus's job. And so what would happen is then, this was, a, this was the way that people were extorted, taken advantage of, and those kinds of things. Because Lael could charge whatever he wanted. So this is fair week. So this week, to cross that intersection is two bucks. 
During the rest of the year, it's a quarter. He, he could set whatever fees he wanted, and I got a portion of that. So because of that, these people were hated. And they were hated by the Jews at a level that you and I cannot understand. Um, it, first of all, because many of them, Rome was in charge, so many of them were Jewish. So these tax collectors were really considered traitors because they were taking advantage of their own people. Um, they were not allowed in the synagogue. Uh, they were considered unclean. So they were put in the same category as pigs. That they were not allowed in the synagogue. They were an unclean animal. They were an unclean person. They were not allowed to come in the synagogue under any circumstances. The Talmud, which was like, kind of like the Jewish rule book in addition to the Bible, um, it taught, again, Jews, Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. You know, uh, you shall not bear false witness. That was pretty clear. But the Jews in the Talmud made an exception for tax collectors. And they said, you are not allowed to lie to people, except you can't lie to tax collectors. We don't consider them people. We consider them wrong. So we're going to let's say that if you want to lie to your tax collector, you're allowed to lie to the, to the, public, to the tax collector. Um, they were forbidden to witness in court. You could not bring them in and say, this, here's the tax collector, here's what he saw. His testimony was invalid. He was considered uh, unreliable. Um, in the eyes of the Jewish laws, they were in the same category as robbers and murderers. So in the Jewish world, you need to understand, the way that they looked at these people like Zacchaeus and like Matthew, was these were people who were social outcasts. These were traitors. These were murderers and robbers and thieves. These were people who had no credibility. So therefore, no one wanted to associate with them. In addition to that, we give some more insight into Zacchaeus because he's short. So not only is he socially an outcast, not only is he religiously an outcast, physically he's an outcast. But this guy wanted to see Jesus. So he decided, since Jesus was in Jericho, there was a main road going through there, Zacchaeus said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to climb up into the tree so I can see him. So he climbs up into the tree and what's amazing is, at this point in the ministry of Jesus, he's been, he's been ministering and healing and doing all kinds of miracles for almost three years now. The crowds are getting larger and larger and larger. They're following him closer and closer and closer within weeks of the crucifixion. And these people are just clinging to him. And it's interesting because as Jesus goes through Jer Jericho, he stops and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And Jesus invites himself over. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go eat at your house today. Now, you need to understand, a rabbi, a holy man, a, a teacher is now going to associate with one of those people. And it says the crowd actually starts murmuring among themselves about what's he doing? Why is he doing that? He should be with the temple people or the priest people or the rabbi people. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be with the publican. Because if you're going to the publican's house, the only people who go to the publican's house are, 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 are people who are tax collector kind of people. We don't associate with them. And so something happens at the house of Jesus. I don't know if Zacchaeus puts his faith and trust in Christ before he gets up in the tree or while he's in the house. I believe that what happened was is Jesus is in the house and he's starting to talk to these people that Zacchaeus puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so Zacchaeus, before the story ends, stands up and says, hey, I want you to know, I'm selling 
what I have and I'm giving half of it to the poor and I'm going to go back and any person that I've wronged, I'm going to pay them four times what I took from them. And this was a Jewish thing. This was a, this was a way to make restitution. And it's important to understand, Zacchaeus did not do this in order to be saved, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. Zacchaeus did this because he was a follower of Christ. Zacchaeus was saying to Jesus in this crowd, I have lived my life for money. I've lived my life for myself. From this point on, that's not important to me. I'm going to follow Jesus. And the money is secondary to me now. Jesus is the most important thing. And I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to show you by my life that that is now true. And then Jesus, because people are still questioning, what in the world are you doing with this guy's house? Jesus says, you need to understand, I'm not here for the righteous people. I'm here to seek, to save, to be with those who really need me. So a couple lessons for us, and then we'll head on our way today. But I think the first lesson is this. Anyone can come to Christ. I mean, this is a guy who socially, physically, religiously, there's all kinds of obstacles. There's a social obstacle. Nobody wants to be around him. There's a physical thing. He's short. Um, there's a cultural thing. Everybody ostracized this guy. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. But yet, when he decided he wanted to see Jesus, Jesus takes note of him. Jesus actually calls him by name. Jesus actually says, I want to go spend time with you. Jesus makes an effort on his part. Why? Because this guy wanted to see and follow Jesus Christ. And this guy decided that his height, that the crowd, that his background was not going to keep him. If it meant climbing a tree, he'd climb a tree to see Jesus. Here's a question I have for you this morning. What, what's keeping you from Christ? Is it the fact that you don't think you're, you know, you're worthy? You don't think that you're good enough? You don't think that... I mean, this guy was the worst of the worst in that culture. And yet Jesus says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm here for you. I'm here to reach you. I think something, another interesting point in this story is this idea that the people thought it was about religion. See, they, they looked at Jesus and they said, well, Jesus, you ought to be spending all your time with religious people. You ought to be spending your time in the synagogue and the rabbis at the temple. You ought to be doing all of that. Jesus is going to go to the temple and he's going to throw over the, the tables of the money changers because they were making it about money. And he said, this isn't what this thing's about. And so... These people were saying, Jesus, why in the world are you going to go and be with that kind of person? See, here's what you need to understand. And, and this is some of you, this is the struggle that some of you have about church or Christianity or Christ. As you look at it and you go, well, everybody's a bunch of hypocrites. I, you know, or, you know, those people, you know, I've actually had people tell me. They said, you know, if I ever came into church, God would strike the building with lightning. And I told him, I said, well, first of all, you need to know we built it really strong. I said, and secondly, those of us that are there, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. Because, you see, you need to understand that church is not about a bunch of good people being together, doing good things. It's really about people who want to learn more about Jesus. That's why we get together every week. It's about people who want to help each other. It's about people who struggle. You go, well, you know, everybody's a hypocrite. No, I understand that's how it looks, but what it really is is people who are trying to do what's right and struggling. You know, I tell people, if you, if you think that 
you know, you want to come to church because you have your act together, then we're not the church for you. Because we're, we're a group of people who are trying to, to follow Christ. We're a work in progress. We're in it together to try to, in, in the words of the great theologian Red Green, we're all in this together. I mean, you know, it's a place that we try to grow together. And this guy decided to put aside all of the cultural, religious stuff. And he just wanted to see Jesus. So Jesus said, you know what? You're the kind of person I want to spend time with. You're the reason I'm here. I want to actually show you a different way to live your life. It doesn't have to be all about you and all about money. You can have a much greater purpose in life. I would challenge you not to be afraid to come to Jesus I challenge you not to be afraid to, to seek it out and, and, and show up at a church one Sunday. You might be amazed at what God can do. I mean, all he did was climb a tree, and the next thing you know is having lunch with Jesus. It's about a personal relationship with Christ. You see, it's interesting. Christ knew his name. Christ wanted to spend time with him. Christ wanted him to understand it's not about religion. It's not about membership. It's not about good works. It's not about money. It's about trusting Christ. I like what one guy said, it's as simple as ABC. You admit the fact that you're a sinner. If you're married, all I have to do is talk to your spouse, and we can establish that very quickly. Because the scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're going to try to earn your way to heaven or make your way to heaven or, or be good enough to go to heaven, you need to understand this. You're always going to fall short. Because God's standard is perfection. And um, every time, you're, you're going to come up short. You have to acknowledge the fact that you need a Savior. You believe on Jesus Christ. John 3.16, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a gift that God offers us. What a grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift that God offers to everyone. But can I remind you that a gift rejected is a gift that you haven't received or possessed? I got a call this week. Somebody said, hey... PJ, I got, got this. Would you want this? And I said, you know what? I said, uh, can I get back to you? I said, I need to check with my wife. I need to see if we've got some, some room for it and that kind of thing. Called him back a few minutes later. I said, yeah. That wasn't mine until I told him yes. Up until then, it was just a gift. And, and, and I would challenge you with the idea of you have to genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And like I say, you believe it to the point that you confess, Romans chapter 10 says, that with your heart, with your mouth, confession is made to salvation. Your heart, you believe. The idea is that God is my Lord and my Savior. And it made a difference in this guy's life. If you got more questions, here's what I challenge you to do. In that music insert, there's a whole thing with a bunch of scripture in it about knowing for sure that... Uh, you're a child of God. There's all kinds of people here that love to tell you their story. Of how God became their, Jesus Christ became their Lord and Savior. How it changed their life, what it did for them. Um, there's a little track we'll have on the back about peace with God. There's all kinds of ways for you to understand this better this morning. But as I wrap up, I have one question for you. And there's just one question I want you to think about before you put your head in your pillow tonight. And that's this. Are you ready to face God? You see, we assume that we all have more time, but that's not necessarily true. Um, the last six weeks, I've been in the process of um, 
My sister, uh, my mom's in Dallas, Texas, and moved into an assisted living facility, and so we've been trying to tie everything up down there. So my sister and my mom have been working hard to get everything covered, and so uh, we were able to sell the house, and she basically said, you know, was there anything you guys want? And so I went down last week and spent some time with her and loaded up a truck to bring some stuff home. But I spent an entire day just making sure everything was ready for her when the Lord calls her home. So we met with an attorney in the funeral home. We met with a bank. We got everything all lined up. And you know, the, the irony of it is that my mom's a believer. She's put her faith and trust in Christ. My, my father had, so before he went home to be with the Lord. I have, so the, so the whole death thing for a lot of people is all scary and filled with fear and turmoil and questions. But we were able to walk through the whole process knowing that this is just another step for us. There was a hope and a confidence there that I deal with enough people to know not everyone has. And I just want to challenge you as you get ready today to ask yourself, are you ready? Because you don't know that this isn't your last day. I don't know that this isn't my last day. The reality of it is we just think we're in control. But the Bible says that there is appointed unto man a time to die. Every one of us will take our last breath. Our heart will beat for its last time. We will not escape that fact. And then at that moment, you will stand before an almighty God. And the question is, are you ready to meet him? I know there are some of you that have been brought up in faith traditions that says when that day happens, you'll get another chance. I would challenge you to read your Bible. The Bible does not say that. In fact, the reality of it is every time your heart beats and every breath that you take is a second chance. But God has a line. And there comes a day that your heart will beat for its last time. You will take your last breath and you will stand before an almighty God. Who gave his only begotten son so that you could spend eternity with him. And if you have spent your entire life saying no to him. He will look at you and say, depart from me. I don't know you. That is the reality. The reason that we do church, the reason that we try to model our lives after Christ is because we want the world to know God offers a free gift to anyone who will say yes. Even a chief tax collector who by all reasons was ostracized by everybody. And so I want to challenge you that if you don't know for sure, please talk to one of us. Please be honest with your heart before God and ask God, are you ready? What are you trusting in? Because if it is anything other than Jesus Christ, God will say, depart from me. I don't know you. But for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, we get to spend eternity with him and with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have put their trust in Him. We want everyone to have that assurance. We want everyone to have that confidence. We want everyone to have that hope. And that is the reason that we have church. That is the reason that we believe God has us here, is to share Christ with all of us. And those of you who are here today, it is our prayer that you know the Lord that we know we would love the opportunity to share with you again. It's not about church. It's about a personal relationship with Christ. So I close this morning with this. Zacchaeus wanted to see Christ. Christ wanted a relationship with him. Jesus didn't care what people thought. His focus was on someone who wanted to follow him.
And he accepted him as he was. And God changed his life. Christ will do the same for you if you're willing to follow. Trust him. Follow him. Today. Because you and I may not have tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this day. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for a Savior who is willing to come and take our place. Thank you, Lord, for offering uh, to each and every one of us the gift of eternal life. And Lord, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, may we value it, may we appreciate it, may we share it with those around us. For those here today, Lord, that are trusting in something else, it might be a church, it might be a religion, it might be a formula or something else other than you. Lord, would you help them to understand that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but through you. Lord, may they be honest enough with themselves to realize that uh, they need you. And Lord, would they be humble enough to ask for someone to help them understand it better. And Lord, may there be some here this morning that simply bow their heart and head and acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, would you work as only you can to change hearts and lives. And let us, allow us, Lord, to grow together. And uh, we thank you. And uh, ask that as we put our heads on our pillow tonight, every one of us has that hope. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand, and we're going to sing the first verse of uh, Trust and Obey. It's in that little insert that's in there. Let's stand as we uh, sing. Mm